0: Hey listeners, this is Mike Morford, host of The Murder of My Family. There's a new true crime podcast from Wondery that I just started listening to that I think you should check out. It's called Killer Psyche. If you're a true crime fan like me, then you know there are a lot of true crime stories out there. We watch them on TV, read about them in the news, and of course, we listen to them on podcasts. In the aftermath of these stories, we're often left asking ourselves, why? Why? Was it about power, ego, revenge, sex? What makes people like that tick? Most of the time, there isn't a satisfying answer. Until now. In every episode of Killer Psyche, retired FBI criminal profiler Candace DeLong dissects the thoughts and motivations of the most infamous felons in history. She's been in the business for over 50 years and has sat across the table from hundreds of criminals. She spent enough time inside their heads to know how they think and why they do what they do. Candace unravels the psychology and instincts of America's most complex and disturbing figures, including high-profile cases that she personally worked on, like the Unabomber, a case where a murderer's bombs killed three people and severely injured 20 more over the course of 17 years, and other cases like Christopher Dunch, who's better known as Dr. Death. In this case, she uses her training and experience to help us understand what was going on inside his head. Was he delusional or a cold-blooded killer? I'm about to play you a preview of Killer Psyche. While you're listening, follow Killer Psyche on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or you can listen to new episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Enjoy this preview, and we'll see you back here soon on The Murder of My Family.
1: The very first bombing was in Chicago where I lived at the time, but I wasn't an FBI agent yet. I was head nurse at the Institute of Psychiatry at Northwestern University Hospital. I met an FBI agent and he said to me, you know what, you should be an FBI agent. And I I remember looking at him and saying, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm a nurse, but I couldn't sleep that night. In fact, when he said that to me, I didn't even know women could be FBI agents. So I went to the Chicago office, I took the test, and four months later, I found myself at the FBI Academy. I distinctly remember I heard about this case for the first time when I was driving home. It was on the radio. The story is, a nine-year-old boy was walking home from school, and he sees a package underneath a blue mailbox, and he picks it up, calls his mom, who is at work, she said, do not open it. So when she gets home, she's examining it, and she sees that it's addressed to a professor at Northwestern University, and it had a return address from a professor at a college in upstate New York. His mom called the professor at Northwestern. He did not know who the other professor was, but he says, send it to me anyway. So she did. The security guard brings this item up to his office, and it looked like a a small skinny pine box and it had a metal latch on it. There was a black marker used to make a huge arrow pointing to the latch. The only thing that wasn't there was a little note that said, open here. So the guard opens it and it explodes. And the guard's hands and arms were slightly burned. After that first bombing, a series of explosive devices were mailed or delivered to people or universities or corporations for the next 15 years. One bomb even went off inside the cargo section of a flight. This one had materials that were similar to those used in the previous two Northwestern bombings, like pieces of string, flashlight, batteries, nails, and common plumbing a pattern was emerging not only of the types of bomb-making materials but also how they were fused together. His early devices were very amateurish, rudimentary. We called them "kitty bombs because they were so simple, it was like something a kid would make in his dad's garage. Remember back then, there was no internet or dark web where a person could go and get extensive details on how to build a lethal device. It was clear to the FBI bomb techs at the lab that whoever was doing this was learning as he progressed. But as the Unabomber continued making bombs, with each device, he seemed to be getting better and better. In 1985, he placed a device in the parking lot of a computer store in Sacramento. The owner of the computer store was cleaning up some trash in the back parking lot. He noticed a bag and picked it up. It exploded and a piece of shrapnel pierced his heart, killing him instantly. That was the first time one of the devices killed someone. Two more people were murdered in the next few years. In 1995, the president of the California Forestry Association unwrapped a parcel in his office, even though it was addressed to his predecessor. When he opened it, he was blown to bits his shoes were found 40 feet away there had been over a dozen bombings and frankly we were no closer to finding him any thoughts at this point on who the unabomber was were purely speculative I believed it was probably a middle-aged white guy but some of my colleagues were not even convinced of that then we got a break in the case that would change everything Follow Killer Psyche on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen to new episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.